Luke chapter 2. We're going to start with verse um, 1. I want to... Uh, I didn't bring put the flannel graph up today because I didn't give my flannel graph preparation people ample time to come up with the new stick-ons. So you're just we're just going to wing it today without a flannel graph. But um, I want to talk about the flannel graph story of the shepherds and the birth of Jesus. Uh, and we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to read the scripture first, then we'll do the flannel graph, and then we'll do what really happened. And somewhere in there, there's something stirring in me. I just can't quite pull it together yet, but if it gets pulled together, I might even preach. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to get a history lesson. We're all going to go home. Acts chapter, or Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, yeah, when Bill was governor of Syria. <laughs> and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from, from them into, the, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over the Beth, to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, and the, na the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And last week we know that that angel was Gabriel. Okay, that's the story. We've read this over and over again. Most of us can probably recite it. Most of us can probably even pronounce the name of the governor. So, uh, 
Rodney, I think we'll go with our first picture. Most of us, when we think of, there was no room for him in the inn. So what do we picture when we picture the inn? Well, we picture the inn. It's the holiday inn. And we all know if you're out traveling during the holiday season, you make a reservation. You just don't show up. There's no room in the inn, right? I mean, it's, now, maybe the inn in your mind wasn't quite that fancy. It might have been something out of a Victorian picture that you saw. So it was a, it was a quaint English inn. And so the flannel graph has kind of given us this picture that the inn was this place that a bunch of people would stay, you know, and if you get to a good inn, they serve breakfast in the morning. It's included in the price. And, you know, that's, that's what the inn is. But so, Roddy, we can go to the second picture. This fellow here who can't, isn't to be trusted in most circles. I don't know if you can even see that or not. That actually is me. And, that, and that's from my trip to Israel in 2002. And I was in, this is just outside of Bethlehem. Now, if, you, if you're, uh, like right now, if the news is showing anything of Bethlehem, they're taking you into the city of Bethlehem, uh, usually to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and, and everything revolves around that. And there's, the, there's all that takes place in the, out in the streets in Bethlehem, and so on. And again, the flannel graph, we've kind of just accepted that where the Church of the Sepulcher is, that's where Jesus was born, because that's what they told us. And the flannel graph told us that. So, Roddy, we can go on to the next picture. So, I was there, and I was there with a group, and this is what in the distance is going towards Bethlehem. We're walking actually away from the city, but we're walking over to where the archaeologist that I was traveling with, the, us as a group was traveling with, um, his name is Moshe. Uh, Moshe, is, he was a colonel in the Israeli army, army. He's retired. He's actually been here to this church many, many years ago. You guys would remember him. Um, Moshe is also an archaeologist in Israel, and was just fascinating to get to travel with for 10 days because he, he took us places that we weren't there on the Holy Land tour. We were in a bus. They did take us by bus. But most of the sites that if you just sign up for Holy Land Tour 2020, the sites you're going to go to, we didn't go to any of those sites. Because one of the things that we... Maybe some of us know this and maybe not, but you have all the things that we're reading about here that the scriptures talk about, and then you have the resurrection and you have the early Christianity starting to come forth in this immediate area and then ultimately moving out from there. And so what was happening around Jerusalem and in those areas, Christmas actually wasn't even considered a, a Christian holiday, or holiday is the wrong thing because they never viewed it as a holiday, but it wasn't considered like a, a pointed celebration in the Christian faith until about 350. Prior to that, it was not seen, the birth of Jesus wasn't seen as a paramount high holy celebration because the crucifixion and the resurrection was where the, the emphasis was. 
So there was, that's where the Christians put their, you know, if they were going to celebrate a holy day, that's where they did it. So it was about 350 before Christmas kind of came on the scene. And, you know, I'm not going to go at length in this because we've all read various things of the people that, you know, Christmas, you know, Jesus was never born in December, this or that, all the stuff that's either pro-Christmas, anti-Christian, all that stuff, whatever. The, there, there's actually pretty good evidence that Jesus very well could have been born in December. Um, there's one of the things that what they use out of this scripture that we just read, where the shepherds were out keeping watch of their flocks, and they're going, well, that, if, it could not have been December because the shepherds did not, were not been in the field watching their flocks in December. Uh, that's just not possible. When in fact, it actually is possible. And there's a, there's a good chance that it could have been December. One of the things that for those shepherds that pastured flocks around Bethlehem, Bethlehem was one of the main suppliers of the sacrificial lambs. Shepherds would have been out tending sheep because the, the sacrificial lambs were an ongoing necessity. Uh, and so, you know, was it the 25th of December? Uh, pretty sure no. <laughs> and that probably coincided more with a pagan ceremony that was already going on, uh, even possibly tying into the winter solstice. There, there were just several other things. But anyway, so Bethlehem we kind of get focused in on, well, there's this church, and because at some point this church was built, that means that's where Jesus was born. The, the next part of this history lesson is, there's another person that comes on the scene uh, around 297-ish, and then on past three, 300, and her name was Queen Helena. And Queen Helena was the mother of Constantine. And so Constantine, uh, and without getting into the whole thing, his father was an emperor before him. Uh, he, when, when his father died, Constantine was brought in as a Caesar. Uh, he was actually, where he was brought in was in York, England. And... So if any of you play around with biblical stuff, how did the English get in and the whole, there's some people try to make a tie between the lost tribes and England, and there's a lot of mythology that gets put out there. The reason, part of that basis is because Constantine, there was actually at 300 and before, there was a close tie between, wasn't called England then, but between England and Rome because the Roman Empire had gone that far. They were... England minus Ireland was under Roman control and northern Scotland. They got to a certain port in Scotland, I think, and just went, it's just too dang gold. I'm not going to... I don't care whether we control that land or not. So I, I don't know that for... That's not a historical fact. That's just me surmising. So uh, anyway, there's that tie. So th around 300... Uh, 327, I guess it was closer to 327, Helena leaves Rome. Her son's the emperor. She leaves Rome. She comes to Israel, to the Holy Lands, and makes her pilgrimage. Pilgrimages were a normal thing. 
She had been a Christian most of her life. Some, uh, some accounts I read, the, where she came from in England, uh, the gospel was already there, and there's a very good chance as a young girl that she actually had converted to Christianity and had carried a Christian faith all the way through, ultimately marrying um, Constantine's father. Um, when Constantine's father became Caesar... He divorced her because he needed to marry the, king, the daughter of another ruler to get the political clout that he needed to be emperor um, of Rome. So he divorces her, doesn't send her into exile or anything. He just divorces her. Later, when Constantine becomes emperor, she gets to return to Rome. She was not in Rome during that time. But looks like she was a Christian. So now uh, Helena comes to the Holy Lands. Well, what she was looking to do was gather, at, well, Constantine had said, I'm putting the money behind this. We want shrines in Israel. So she, her charge was to go through Israel, find the holy spots and build shrines there. So she's got the money and she shows up. Well, the, the difficulty was, and I, don't, I can't find anything historically that there was any ill intent with her, except she wasn't an archaeologist, and so she shows up around 320, whatever it was, and so she's depending on local lore to say, this is where this happened, this is where that happened, and the Romans had actually built a temple to Venus, and... She comes in and destroys that temple, and according to legend, when the temple was destroyed under that temple, they found the burial site of Christ, and they found parts of the three crosses that had been on the day of the crucifixion. I, I, I'm hard-pressed to find anything historically that actually says, yes, that's true. Just a lot of people say, I'm pretty sure it's true. So the best I can tell you, it might have happened. But she tears down the Temple of Venus and she builds, um, I can't remember the name of that particular um, cathedral now, but she builds a cathedral there. And so Helena starts going around and saying, this is where this happened, this is where this happened, this is where this happened. And so in Bethlehem, the city of Bethlehem, which city is, is making it seem big, it was the town of Bethlehem, which would have been a small area, but they decide that this is where Jesus was born. Now, so she builds the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and it's there to this day, and people from all over the world pilgrimage there. The Catholic Church puts a lot of emphasis on it. Um, and if you, when I read their, what they're saying, they agree this, in this place, this is where Jesus was born. There's just a lot of other people outside of the church that, would see it differently. Moshe was one of those. So I get to hang out with him. Now, I had to dress up like you saw me because that's the only way he would let us do this whole thing. So the other, the other piece of the story that we have to realize is in the Old Testament, there's this guy named Boaz. You all, you all remember the story of Boaz. The palace of Boaz is there, and I didn't put any pictures on here of that because it's not a standing palace, it's ruins. But they know it's the palace of Boaz. It sits on a high place, and it looks down over 
a low area, and then the land rises again to Bethlehem, to the, to the town of Bethlehem. It's, it's, it's within eyesight, one of the other. So when we were with, um, with Moshe, we got to go down into the ruins of the palace of Boaz, and he, he was able to explain to us why this was so important. Because when the edict came out for Mary and Joseph to leave Nazareth and to go back to Bethlehem, because that was the place of um, that was the, um, the the place of birth, so they had to be where they were from to register to pay the tax, which would have been probably for them. Depending, there's two routes they could have went whether they avoided Samaria or they went through Samaria. The common path was through Samaria. That was the trade route. There was another path or route they would have taken that kind of avoided the Samaritans. But anyway, it was somewhere between five to seven days walking. Um, and so if you're right ready to have a baby bouncing around on a donkey for five to seven days, it was probably a pretty arduous trip which is probably why she was just ready to have a baby when they got there. Um, so, so they get to this area. They would not, the, the point being, or why I'm trying to lay this picture out, is they would not have gone just to any arbitrary place, just walk into Bethlehem, hope we can find the inn, uh, you know, Everybody's got no vacancy out front, you know, and these inns are places that, you know, we, we have room for five guests, 10 guests, 20 guests, 50 guests, whatever it is, the Holiday Inn. You know, we got an indoor pool. We got a real nice breakfast in the morning. You know, if you're right time of year, it's a nice courtyard out back. So what we're doing, we're actually walking to, and I'm going to show you these other pictures. We're walking from the valley up to the, uh, just outside of the palace of Boaz. And so Rodney, if you go to the next picture, I know these, these aren't as big as I was hoping they would be. This is the group of us gathered within the, um, the area where the olive press was, where the olive, uh, olive trees are. And the whole group of us, we had been out. Moshe had us do the whole thing. We had to go out, and there were all these stalks of wheat or sheaves. And we went out and we harvested the wheat, dressed up in our garb, and we carried the sheaves. Because remember, we're bringing in the sheaves. I know that song. So we were all bringing our sheaves in, and we were bringing them to the threshing floor where they would have been threshed, which was there in the olive grove where they also gathered olives. So go to the next picture. This is the inn. It is. It's lovely. The accommodations are great. I was inside of it. it, it everything you could want. I mean, if you're going to travel, I recommend the inns of Jerusalem or the inns of Israel. At that time, none of us had Wi-Fi. This was 2002. Yeah. The, when we talk about, when the scriptures talk about the shepherd's keep or what would have been called the inn, all it was was a cave. They would look for place, natural places where caves existed to get in and get sheltered for the night. 
And next to, now this would, been, um, this would have been where you would have put the animals. This would have been where the, the, you would have put the sheep, you know, and so on. And go on to the next picture. This is more of where the shepherds would have stayed. And again, it's in the back, and I'm sure you can't see this, but in the back is, there's ruins to the back of this. This front area is where the, the people would have stayed. And when it speaks about Jesus being born in the manger, this is the manger area. This is the area where uh, feed would have been kept, where... People would have got housing, you know, got shelter. Go on to the next one. Yes. So again, the this is uh, that 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 outcrove that I the first picture I showed you is to the left of this. This is the area again where the people would have been, and. It also would have been where the small animals would have been kept. The adult animals would have been kept in a separate place. So when Jesus is laid in a manger, you know, it's not where somebody went out and you, you make the cross and you lay the boards across it and you fill it with hay and it's a hay rack like we would picture a hay rack in a barn. That's not what the manger was. It was merely a place where there was feed. There was grass that had been brought in to feed the animals. He was just laid in the hay, if you want to, you know, use the term hay. So there was no room for them, for Mary and Joseph, there was no room for them there. That's, that's the, you know, this is the whole part of the end. The, the shepherds slept with the animals. They were close together. It's not like you had them out in the field and you're back at the house, kind of like the way we do horses. You know, you're just all together. So next picture. Again, that's just another cave that's in this whole group of where we were at. It's another place where both animals and shepherds could have been. Next picture. I'm hoping you can see this. Uh, right over to the right, there's a cross etched in that stone. And one of the caves that we went in that's right in this group of pictures I've already showed you, there was two emblems that are, that are drawn or chiseled into that stone. One of them is a cross. And for Moshe, that was extremely important because, in, in, I mean, this isn't the only shepherd's keep. This isn't the only cave around. This isn't the only place where shepherds would have been. This is the only one where they found archaeologically at this point a cross etched over the opening as you go into the cave. So the next picture. So... The other thing, and this was sitting in the background on a previous picture, this, these are ruins of a second century church, which again, from an archaeological standpoint, it was real prominent for, the early, for early Christians. They would build churches over or around places that were known to be where something happened. And it wasn't necessarily a shrine that they built, but, it, but they did feel a connection to be close to where an event had happened. Um, you know, it's, this is maybe an aside, and eh, for the sake of just opening up a can of worms, I guess. But there's been a lot of brouhaha over the last years about the crazy folks out the Bethel and how they go out and lay on graves and suck stuff out of the graves. 
Um, which one isn't true, and two is bizarre, and three, in a different perspective, it's not unprecedented to want to be close to where an event has happened. And probably most of us that have loved ones that have gone on before us, we often do this crazy thing and go to a cemetery and stand by a grave and feel close to the person that's been buried. And we don't think that's bizarre at all. We're not trying to bring them back from the dead, but we are bringing them back to life. And none of us think that's odd at all. And so for the early church, they knew where the various places had happened, the various you know, things that were part of our faith. And so it was not unusual. And so here, this church had been built, and uh, I don't have a picture of it, but kind of off this picture to the right, there's actually in the excavation, there's a fairly large piece of the mosaic floor, because all the churches had mosaic floors. And some of the churches, the mosaic floors are amazing because the floors told all the stories. Before there were stained glass windows, there were mosaic floors. And so this one has a story. They know it's a Christian church. You can know that by the mosaic. And it's right here at this location where these caves are, where one of the caves has a cross over it. So go on to the next one. This one's a little bit harder to see, but this is another Christian symbol. And uh, it was over, uh, there was the cave that has the cross. And when, um, I don't think it's the picture of the two caves. I'm pulling from memory because it has been a few years. But within that group of caves, within the keep, there was this symbol over, the, over another um, cave. And go to the next picture. Uh, go on to the next picture. Yeah, which is actually this symbol, and that's an early Christian, first century Christian symbol, and uh, that would have, been, would have been used a lot. So that's the symbol that was put over the other cave. And if you now back up a picture, that's actually uh, Moshe, and we're walking through. Those are the ruins of the church, some of what's left there. Again, I don't have a picture of the mosaic. Okay, so... Fascinating, right? <laughs> so my point is that when, when, we, when we're reading through the scriptures, like we've been talking about in other things, but even here as we talk about the birth of Jesus and the fullness, these are not just stories in a book. They're not just some words that got put on a page, but they are the recounting, the retelling of something that happened. And so that night when they, or that day when they showed up, the shepherds were around, they were out. When they got to the inn, when they got to the place where the shepherds would have gathered, there was full, there was no room there. And at least using, if Moshe is correct, and, and I tend to think that he is, when Mary and Joseph came back, they would have been going back to their, where their family is from, and their family was from the palace of Boaz, which would not have been in ruins at that time. It would still have been a functioning dwelling. Um, 
most of like most of what you see now that appear as ruins in Jerusalem, those things that were there uh, pre-Christ and within the first two centuries after Christ, most of those buildings were still buildings that were standing. It wasn't until uh, the, the towards the end of the Crusades when when um, Jerusalem was taken away from the Christians and was now inhabited by the Muslims. One of the things that they did, they destroyed all or as many as they could of the holy places, or the, not the holy places, but the, um, the, the places where Christianity was known to originate with the idea we wipe this away because then there's no evidence. And when there's no evidence, there's no history. And where there's no history, it doesn't exist. And... On the other side of the fence, when the Christians had the opportunity, we did the same thing. Just saying it's the way you do things when you do that kind of stuff. Uh, So we have it. So they would have come back to their family location. They would have been within this area. That's where they would have registered. It's where they would have had to have come before the government to say, here we are and pay their taxes. Because to not pay taxes in Rome was a little more serious than not paying your taxes in the U.S. Yeah. And there was nobody advertising on TV to get you tax relief. Yeah. The fresh start was we fed you to the lions in the Colosseum, and at least we got something for our money. Uh, So... Again, I, I want us to, the scriptures are telling us a story. And sometimes we get so familiar that we no longer see what the scriptures are actually saying. And I don't want us to be that way. I want us to read the scriptures and, and ask Holy Spirit, can I see it again fresh? When I was, and so for me in 2002, when I was in Israel, it was amazing to me because it, to, to be in those locations, to walk through those ruins, to, to, to think and ponder through. This isn't, it's moved from just being words on a page to something that I'm actually tangibly touching. And I, you know, again, I wasn't trying to suck anything out of the stones, but I can tell you when I stood in the Roman Praetoriate and I knew that those stones that I'm standing on are the very stones that Jesus was tried at. You know, the places when the whip was taken to him, they're there. This isn't going to Disneyland. This is like, it's where he was. I can tell you that I laid out on that floor with my face to the stones, and I wept for a long time. And when I got up, I stood up with something that I didn't have when I laid down. I can't tell you what that is. I can't sell it. I can't write a book about it. I can't impart it. It's, it's beyond all that. But I can tell you there's, there are places where the essence is there. And if we open to our, our heart to it, the essence can become a reality to us. And it's odd to me that we will do that in other 
circumstances, but when it comes to our faith, somehow that's like weird or demonic, or we put all these other words to it and say, it's not weird. When you go to the cemetery, nobody tells you you're weird. I mean, this time of year, people travel and put flowers by the graves. I mean, it's just, it's something most people do. And it's not weird. And there's something that we, that, that we glean from that. There's something that comes to us from that. It is important to remember. It is important, if it's only just in our own mind, to tell the story again. To remember things. To remember people. Um, and so this, as we come into this season with, with, the, with the coming of Christ, it's, this is, again, it's not a story so we had something to do on and make a holiday. But this is the, in this point, as we've, you know, we've, again, where we've been talking about in the, in the weeks prior this whole thing, this whole Christmas story that, that is unfolding, it, it's just, to me, it, and this is the piece I can't quite all get out yet, but I, I'm going to try and then you can, you can work on it. You can take it home for a week and work on it. But this whole story starts in a garden where God is desiring to create a family, and he creates an unseen family, and he creates a seen family. And yeah, that gets off track, and, and all the things that we've been talking about, and I'll talk more about that, all begin to happen. But this, the scriptures tells us, tells us that Jesus is the second Adam. So the first Adam, we had the problems. But the second Adam, when he came, he set something right that could not have been set right any other way. And for me, the parallels just explode in my head far more than I can and will take time today. But it starts in a garden. It ends in a garden. It starts with angelic. That you know, the, the cherubim were in the garden. There was there was this design where the unseen and the seen would be working together, and it would be a normal thing for the unseen and the seen to be living out life event together. Somehow all that happens, and yet we see this in this story. We have Gabriel coming to Zacharias. We got Z uh, Gabriel returning again to talk with Mary. We have the, the angel of the Lord showing up here to make an announcement. We have the heavenly host beginning to sing after that. We, you know, the, and we talked about this in weeks past, but one of the songs we sang talk today talked about the morning stars rejoicing. The morning stars that were rejoicing, I think I've given ample proof on this, but the morning stars that were rejoicing are not the stars that just show up in the sky. It was the, it was angelic beings. It was, it was the unseen that was rejoicing. This whole idea of God ascending and descending. My goodness, this, God has just descended upon the earth. Come on. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. And when he descended, he's not 
can't be seen. You know, when, when, this, when, he said, when, when people are talking about, the, you know, this Messiah is going to come and don't go here and don't go there and he's not over there and he's not over there. No, when, when the Messiah came, when God stepped onto planet Earth, he did it visibly. He did it tangibly. And Fount Schultz said this this past, or in the last couple of days in the morning meditations that he put out. God chose in coming as Messiah, he chose to place himself in the most vulnerable position that anybody could be in. He came as a baby. And Mary did not have, with the baby Jesus, did not have this thing like, you know, he changed his own diapers. Actually, he doesn't even do that stuff. Because he's Messiah, and Messiah would never do that. He did it all. He was a baby. He was a human being, and human babies do certain things. He did that. He was in the most vulnerable position. We, we read on, it's, you know, it moves outside of the Christmas story, but where, where the, 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 um, the travail of Rachel happens and they had to leave because Herod was now executing children that were two years and younger. They just didn't hang out in town going, hey, he's Messiah, they ain't touching him. No, God put himself in the most vulnerable position which is the same position that all of us are in. And he did it. He descended. You know, we, there's times we talk about ascending and descending, and, and I, I don't have a problem with that, and we talk about it and all that. But one thing I do want to stay focused on, it's never us ascending first. If there's any, any ascending that's going to happen with any of us, it's because he first descended. God is always coming to us. It's not about us going to him. It's about him coming to us. In the garden, he came to them. He walked with them. There was the interchange that took place on a daily basis between spirit beings and natural beings. God was there. Even when they left Eden, he went with them. God has always been coming to us. It's always been his heart to have his creation in right relationship with him. And so, I don't know. I, that, in saying all that, I don't know. I, I, it leaves me in this spot where I'm going, I don't have words to express how powerful I feel this actually is. I can't get there in words. Um, maybe better orators can. I can't get there. There's just... Even in saying that, it leaves me with this place inside going, boy, that just misses the mark. You ain't, you just haven't hit it yet. Because I just think there's this place that each of us individually, it can't, it can't be expressed only in a corporate setting. Because each of us have to get there individually. Each of us have to find that. I don't think it can fully be expressed outside of the corporate. But I don't think it can that the journey itself requires each of us to get there individually. I must be born again. You must be born again. It's the way it works. 
But having that initial experience and coming into him, then he sets us in the corporate. And in the corporate, we then start to live out the full expression of who he is. And in the corporate, there should be always the, 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 the expectation of the supernatural or of the unseen. You know, as I said a couple of weeks ago, I can't figure out why the Bible is full of angels showing up, various kinds of angels, angels of various rankings. The Bible's really clear about that. And we act as though it can't happen, or if it does happen, our first response is, well, that must be a demon. Well, what did it tell you? What did the angel say? Well, the angel was telling me about God and what God's doing for me and blah, blah, blah. Yep, that sounds like a demon to me. You know, I, know, I just don't understand why we, we do that. Why, why are we afraid of the unseen? And it's not unusual because when the angels show up here, one of their first things, fear not, fear not. Chill, chill. Which definitely means it wasn't just a thought. It wasn't, the angel wasn't just a unseen presence. When Zechariah walked into to do the, his responsibilities inside the temple, and it says a man was standing beside the altar, it wasn't smoke. It was a man, and he recognized it as a man, and ultimately recognized it as a spirit being, not just a man. So, I don't know. I don't know if this is like a good Christmas story or not, but anyway, look. The long and the short of it is, Jesus is incredible. Having a relationship with him, there is none better. To be born again is the best experience I've ever had in my life, and it has never slowed up. It just keeps getting bigger, broader, deeper. Life does what life does. Don't always get everything in life that you want or the way you want it. I get all that, but it doesn't take away from who he is at all, at all.